0: available at primalblueprint.com Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com And now, introducing your host, L Russ Hey
1: everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today I have Dr. Glenn Livingston, who is the author of Never Binge Again, also the owner of the website NeverBingeAgain.com, and I really like this tagline, which is, Reprogram Yourself to Think Like a Permanently Thin Person. Welcome to the show.
2: Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me, Elle. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, so you have I mean you're a veteran psychologist. You have decades of experience and research in why people binge and overeat from stress. You know, you've appeared in in the New York Times, CBS, ABC, and you're also the author of Never Binge Again, which has been the number one download on Amazon and diet and health and fitness, with about over twenty five thousand downloads, and we'll we'll talk more about that later. But I really would love to hear about you know I know you had your own journey your personal journey of binge eating and obesity and and then you as a medical professional you know you overcame that struggle learned how to build self confidence and, and and develop a relationship with food and even though here at the Primal Blueprint and in general we can do all we can by fixing you know, potential underlying components that can contribute to binging, you know, such as, you know, low serotonin or cortisol issues or, you know, all of these things. But there still is, if you've had a pattern, it doesn't matter what it was spawned by, there there can be psychological components and attachments and patterns. And so I'd love to hear your story and how you got involved in, in this, because it's a major problem for a lot of people. And it was for me once, too. So that's why I'm really excited to hear uh, what you have to say for the people out there still struggling.
2: Okay, terrific. Terrific. Well, um, let, let me just clarify. I'm a psychologist. I'm not, a, I'm not an MD. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm the son of two psychotherapists and, and my dad's a PhD. And uh, in a family of 17, psychotherapists and counselors and social workers and psychiatrists. And, um, you know, you kind of don't want to go to my, my family reunion. <laughs> and, and so my, my approach to figuring it out for myself was really wholly psychological especially in the early years. But the, I guess the best way to describe it, Elle, is that I was a, what you'd call an exercise bulimic, which means that I'm 6'4", I'm fairly athletic, and as a teenager and very young adult, I figured out that if I worked out for two or three hours a day, that I could eat whatever the heck I wanted to. And I really, really, really enjoyed that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and I, that's that's something that a lot of people are still on that on that train. It's like, how much food can I get away with eating, which is a whole different philosophy, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. How much can I get away with? I, that, that, I kind of lived to eat and it worked. It worked for a very long time. But when you become an adult and you have responsibilities and patience and a you know wife and um, all of those things to do, it's really hard to find two or three hours to exercise a day. And then your body doesn't really burn calories in the same way when you get older as when you're younger. And it really caught up to me. I I found that I I couldn't really get in more than an hour a day, and usually not every day. And I still like to eat. And as a matter of fact, because I was a little bit stress-driven too, and I was working with adolescents and families and a lot of suicidal patients. I actually wound up eating more, if you could believe that, than I was when I was exercising so much. And I I really ballooned up in my, my kind of late twenties and thirties. I really I really ballooned up. And I almost felt like there was something mysterious driving me. Like I I just couldn't understand this. And I I really I went to all of the psychological resources that I'd had in my network, you know my family and friends and you know I, I paid psychologists and psychiatrists and I went to a anonymous and I I did everything that the psychological world would traditionally ask you to do and it just it just wasn't working. It just wasn't working. And so in the um, I kind of jumped forward and in the midst of having funded my own, research study with more than 40,000 people. I, I I don't have kids and I've never commuted, so I've had a fairly extensive career. And among the things I was doing was doing consulting for large companies, many of them food companies. And so I had access to all these research protocols and kind of knew how to work the industry so I could get things done not that expensively. And I did this large food study of um, 40,000 people where I asked them all types of personality questions and then I asked them what types of foods they had trouble controlling. What, what did they overeat or binge on? And I found some really interesting things. And you'd think the end of this story was that those interesting things solved the problem, but I'll tell you why they didn't. The, the things that I found were uh, things like people turn to chocolate when they're feeling lonely and isolated there seems to be seem to be something right and it's really interesting and it's good to talk about or people turn to starchy carbohydrates when they're feeling stressed at work or people turn to salty crunchy things when they're feeling anxious this these weren't perfect correlations by far but there was definitely an association and actually got on tv and radio and talked about those kind of things and get a lot of attention for that but I really thought I had something because I thought that if I and I, I do struggle with chocolate, that's something that's always been my nemesis. So I said, oh well, I must be feeling lonely and isolated. And so what I need to do is address that loneliness and isolation, and then that'll fix the problem. And when I would work with patients and they told me about struggling with chocolate, I would kind of zero in on loneliness and isolation problems. But it didn't really work because people would say, well, I guess until until I can fix that loneliness and isolation, I might as well just binge my heart out on chocolate because there's nothing's going to work until I do that.
1: Right. Looking outside themselves for, you know, something external to change first.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like there's this crazy voice inside all of us. And I, I, I'll tell you where a lot of this came from in my studies in a little bit. But, but for example, I remember having sworn to diet again on one of those Monday mornings. Where
1: <laughs> That's such a classic. <laughs> I mean, everybody listening, I'm sure has been through that like on Monday. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Like 427 different Monday mornings that I swore to of do whenever diet, but I, I read this book and I was really jazzed up and I was going to eat a lot more vegetables. And, and then I'm at the Starbucks counter on Monday morning and there's this big hairy chocolate bar staring at me and it's kind of a long line and I'm waiting to pay. And um, the closer I got, the more this little voice inside of me started t- talking and the better the chocolate bar looked. And eventually the voice said, you know, Glenn, it's going to sound ridiculous, but it said, Glenn, chocolate comes from cocoa beans and cocoa beans grow on a plant. So therefore chocolate is really a vegetable. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that logic. That's hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah. And of course, chocolate isn't a vegetable. Of course, mm-hmm. chocolate isn't a vegetable. It's kind of ridiculous, but... At the moment of impulse, we're so like identified with our lizard brains and we don't really have enough access to the neocortex and ability to really reason our way through it, that it made sense. And it made sense for a moment. And that's all it really takes. Anybody who has had trouble with overeating knows that. Once you kind of pierce the veil in that moment, then that little voice inside of you says, well, you already blew it. So you might as well start again tomorrow. That's and right.
1: And and the bargaining stuff, like uh, I used to, I had a couple of experiences when I had this problem where I remember saying to myself, like, you look for any reason, even just like, oh, well, cocoa bean. Oh, well, that's a legume. Legumes are like beans. so I'll just, have, or whatever. <laughs> and and the same thing is, is I used to say like, all right, well, if I drive by the grocery store, like if I go through the parking lot and there's like a parking spot right out front, then. I can go by and eat X, and it's, <laughs> right, like it was such. It, it, and when you think about it now, it's like, oh, how, I'm sad for myself. But I'm sure a lot of people listening understand these two things we're talking about. It's right. It's this: you will find a reason, you know, if you're still in this pattern, to, to make it happen and to fail. Really, essentially, whatever goal it was, usually it's the Monday morning, yeah.
2: And so it, it was that voice. That voice was really making all the all the trouble. And it wasn't until I did a lot of reading in the kind of, I call them the black and white addictions, like drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, the things that, things that you actually can cut out of your life 100%, as opposed to things that are much more complex behavioral economics, like food decisions and, you know, success behaviors and things like that. And in the black and white addictions, there is a body of literature um, you could find the gentleman who authored it is Jack Trimperny at Rational Recovery. And I was very taken with, with his work and how he really focused on that voice inside of us and taught you to separate from it. And he said, you know, it's it's not a mysterious, cunning disease. It's just this kind of crazy voice inside of you. And found that it the techniques didn't really work so well for food because you have to make so many food decisions during the day. And I found that it was easier to fall down with food than it was like, like I could quit. And I, like I did quit alcohol many, many years ago. I just quit and I just never went and just never looked back. But food is in your face, you know, at least three, four times a day and you got to make decisions about it. And so I kind of started experimenting with, well, what if you could have a crystal clear food plan so that they so that little voice couldn't fool you if you the, the little voice is able to fool you because there was some amb- ambiguity left about whether there was no food. plan yeah yeah but what what if you eliminated the ambiguity and like what if you said i will never eat chocolate again so it doesn't and it's there's no because there's no you know long rational reason cuz about whether it's a vegetable or not a vegetable it's almost the way that you talk to a little child sometimes, you know, cause daddy said, so I don't eat chocolate cause daddy doesn't eat chocolate and he never will again. And you know, it's, it's almost heresy to say you'll never do something again in this, in this culture. Um, but I, long story short, I found that that started to work the crystal clear clarity about what the commitment was um, coupled with very carefully listening for that inner voice of your fat thinking self or, I, I kind of coach everyone to find another name for it, but, but a name that they feel a little bit of disdain for as opposed to something like this is not an inner wounded child that you want to nurture back to health. This is this is something that you have to feel an unpleasant feeling towards in that moment of impulse so that when you say, when you hear it speak up, you say, oh, well, I, I know what that wants. I'm not going to listen to it. It only wants to binge and that always makes me miserable and there's no point. And you don't have to remember why. You don't have to debate with it. You just listen for it. So I came up with a number of categories to clarify the food plan. So what if you have a list of things that you never do or never eat? What if you have a list of things that you do conditionally? Like no one's to say that everybody has to give up chocolate. What if some people just want to have it at social occasions or they just want to have it on Saturdays or You know, they only want to eat pretzels at Major League Baseball games. Why why couldn't you do that as long as it was really clear? I have a list of things that you always do and then a list of things that you did without restriction. And, you know, it it was far from perfect the first time, and and I did make a lot of mistakes. But I kept working on the clarity and the the 100% commitment to staying on that plan with clarity and then... Any little voice that I heard that would say that I would have something else or do something else, I, I just called that the pig, and I said I don't, I don't listen to farm animals. I don't let farm animals tell me what to eat, and it's telling me to have some pig slop now, and I'm not going to have any pig slop. And I'm kind of embarrassed, El, that. You know, I'm a sophisticated psychologist with a long and varied career. Um, <laughs>
1: with but, these but, little sort of trick, tricky tricks that you have to play on yourself, kind of thing. Is that what what you were getting at?
2: Yeah, I mean that that's what worked. That, that's
1: but what that worked. is what yeah. And you've got these four categories. We'll go over like always, nevers, conditionals, and unrestricteds. But it is it is a self talk game. It is a mind game. Um, Because that's also what helps you fail easily too, is the little tricks you're playing in the other direction. So you have to just play them in the positive direction, which is what you're you're saying you did.
2: That's a good way to look at it.
1: How do you, uh, you know, interesting kind of phrase here about you applying the psychology of winners to eating. So can you run down and give us a picture of that? Like in what way, in what ways do you mean?
2: Yeah, it's, it's really the difference between rules versus guidelines, and most people in the eating disorder field will talk to you about setting up guidelines for yourself and to say, you know, try, try to follow it 90% of the time. If, if you do it 90% of the time and you binge once in a while, you're really doing the best that you can. And, you know, progress, not perfection. And um, just, just try to follow the guidelines. And I, I kind of stepped back and I said, well, that's not really – what, that's not really how you would coach someone to achieve a really important goal. Like if you were
1: that's right,
2: trying, <laughs> right. So, so if you were trying to coach someone to ride, or like your daughter, let's say you have a young daughter and you want to help her to get to the top of a hill, pedal her bike to the top of the hill without without stopping. You would say, "Well, I want you to visualize yourself on top. And I want you to see yourself at the top of the hill with your arms straight up in the air in a victorious pose, and the whole time that you're riding." I want you to do that, and there's nothing that's gonna stop you from doing that. And any little voice in your head that says you're not gonna get there, we're just gonna purge that from our mind because it's just there to distract you. And that that's kind of the psychology of winners, that, that's what- Yeah, it's that's overriding
1: what, doubt or overriding naysayers or overriding that whatever's towards you that's not fueling you or that possibly could take people down, right? It's it's just taking the opposite approach there and not allowing that. And you're right. Yeah, that's exactly what you would be focused on. Not only the end result, but especially if you're talking about, I mean, I guess, ultimate winners or, you know, like the the Olympics are coming up. I mean, you think any of those are trained to be like, you know, just, you know, you know, do your best. Just do do your best. If you can't do all of it, that's cool. I mean, that's not how (laughs) that that doesn't get a goal, does it? Yeah.
2: Right. Now, the reason that people are frightened of that type of 100% commitment is because they think that means that if they make a mistake or if they don't get to the top of the mountain, that they're going to have to really beat themselves up to feel horribly guilty and everything like that. Um, and this, by the way, is one of the places where I diverged greatly from the black and white addiction approach, because you can't really... You can't be this soft on yourself with the black and white addictions if you if you make a mistake. You really need to commit to 100% and keep 100% in the, in the black and white addictions. But well, let me give you an example. If you're about to get married, this is not a commitment that you would accept from your spouse. If your spouse said, you know, honey, I'm pretty sure that I can be 100% faithful to you forever, but there sure are a lot of attractive people out there. And I, I just want to be honest. You want me to be honest, right? You know, it's, it's most likely I won't sleep with anybody else, but, you know, I don't want to lie to you. See, that, that's not an that's not an acceptable commitment. That's not the type of relationship that they want. And it's it's just as strong an impulse. I mean, the sexual drive is as strong as anything else that we have. It's just as strong as the drive to to eat. And we're expected to restrain it. We're all accustomed to you know the rituals and promises of marriage and the 100% commitment that goes along with that. So why can't you make that type of commitment to your food goals? And so I I guess I kind of dared to question that cultural norm that says we can only have guidelines, we really can't have rules. And I said, no, well, set up rules for yourself, make a 100% commitment. Um, Don't let your inner pig beat you up too much if you happen to make a mistake, just like you wouldn't if your daughter didn't make it to the top of that, that hill, you wouldn't say, you know, you're worthless, you're nothing, you're never going to be anything. You would just say, okay, well, let's what went wrong and let's make a better plan and we'll get you some more water or, you know, food beforehand. You, and, you
1: always have another chance. Don't worry. There's always another competition.
2: Yeah. And, and, and with food, every moment is another opportunity to be healthy, no matter what happened in the moment before.
1: But you know so. what I'm thinking as you say this is sort of the idea of... It's, um, it's almost like when you talk about the black and white addictions, right? You know, you, you just, it's, it's, it's just usually doesn't work to just be like, okay, I'm just going to have a cigarette every now and then, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's usually like you have to just eventually do it. And even if it's gradual, but it has to end, or then you're still kind of technically a smoker and it's not to say you can't have a piece of chocolate every now and then, and you're still a binge eater, but I guess... On this side of like the the winning attitude or the rules, it seems like it almost would be a relief for some people though too as well because their life has no rules, especially when you're Ben Jeter and 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 maybe I can see talking to someone and having them set like defined pathways, even though it might be scary, it might also feel a little bit, do you feel like some people feel relieved? Because it's like, oh, now they've got something they have to adhere to. Does that make sense? I can see how that could actually be beneficial. Yeah, it,
2: it. It, tr- it makes tremendous sense because, see, freedom really sits on top of discipline. Um, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if, you, if you look at jazz piano players or jazz musicians, they only have the intense creative, spontaneous expression within the context of the scales that they've practiced. If they didn't study those scales and begin to learn what notes go with other notes and what, what rules to follow, even if it's an unconscious set of rules, they, they couldn't express themselves in any kind of a way that made sense. Or so if, if you, you know, if we didn't have the rules of the road, then you wouldn't have the freedom of getting in your car and going to, you know, various and sundry places at the drop of a hat. So freedom really sits on top of discipline and there are a lot of people who are trying to be, they're kind of trying to have their cake and need too and be spontaneous with a food or a food behavior that immediately when they put a very specific rule in place, they feel relieved and they, they say, oh, I mean, I just, all I have to do is listen for this crazy voice inside of me and follow this rule and then, and then I'm free and it's tremendous
1: that's so great i mean what a, it is and what well, is a freedom i mean i used to be there too and am not anymore and don't struggle with it um but it's it was a crazy struggle and really tough for a while so i really empathize with people going through that what other thing? like i know you you mentioned some themes earlier that you noticed and some of those themes kind of correspond a little bit biologically in some ways that i was thinking of like craving starches or high carbs if you're stressed um, you know, uh, we can always relate some certain things back to like production of cortisol during stress and blood sugar levels based on that. But what are, are were there some other themes you noticed with either certain foods or certain types of personalities or, or maybe some identifiers? If there's people out there that might suspect that they've, you know, kind of are a binger, but maybe need to sort of be called on it or hear it from someone, what are some, you know, classic signs that, that you might really need to look at
2: this? Well, if you eat things that you know are not in your best interest and um, yet you almost feel like something's taking over and you can't do it, then it would be worthwhile to pay more serious attention to the, the conversation that we're having. I I really don't – I mean, one of the reasons that I only work in this field as a coach and I don't use my psychology license to to see patients like this is because I I don't really believe – that an eating disorder is a disease. I, I think that there are, I think there are physiological factors that are really important to attend to. Uh, for example, you will see that people who went through periods of extreme dieting um, have a more difficult time controlling their eating later on. It's, it's almost as if there's a evolutionary starvation mechanism in our brains that. Um, People will describe it as if someone's pointing a gun at their head and saying, you must put all of this food in your mouth now or, or you're going to die. And that's a very real experience. And so if you're someone that did a lot of compulsive dieting earlier on in your life or maybe even recently, then you might find yourself more prone to, to binge behavior. And um, you know, one of the solutions to that, by the way, is to have a food plan that's very regular and gives you a consistent amount of calories and nutrition and you know don't don't try to lose weight too quickly you're losing you know one maybe a pound and a half uh, a week then that's, that's about the best you can do after the first few weeks without starting to trigger this kind of thing Um, What about
1: like, you know, there's a lot of um, people who grew up where, you know, their parents were like, you're not leaving the table until you finish all your food. And so there's people then that have this sort of like subconscious built in, right? You know, what about some of those? There's got to be some themes you might see there with just how we were raised around food or even maybe patterns we picked up from relatives or parents.
2: Yeah, so I, I think what's important there is to look at that as a correlation as opposed to a causation. So I mean, for example, my mom was married to an army captain, and she was really terrified I was going to go to Vietnam. And her father had a real family trauma just around the time that I was born. And so she had a really hard time tending to feeding me. And at the time, and this was more acceptable in nineteen you know, 64, 65 than it would be now, she put a bottle of chocolate Bosco. In a very small refrigerator on the ground, and she trained me to go there whenever I was upset. And so, of course, I've got a pattern from the earliest part of my life that says, you know, chocolate e- equals comfort, and right. don't bother, don't bother, mom, go to get the chocolate, right? Right. Yep. Or,
1: or just, yeah, being comforted. And I heard another coach at one point talk about a very similar thing where every time they cried and act out, they were given something like with vanilla ice cream or, you know, something like that. Where then then any time in the future, they had upsetting moments in life. They'd go right for the <laughs> vanilla ice cream. It was just, you know, classic.
2: So so here's the thing. It's it's helpful to understand that about yourself. And if you know that about yourself, then. I mean, you might want to explore what other ways were you misdirected when you, know, yeah. you had norm- normal needs for nurturance and that kind of thing. And that kind of falls in the realm of normal psychological treatment for early childhood experiences. So you can feel like a better adjusted, less anxious, more secure human being. What's dangerous is is that little voice inside you that says, but that means you can't stop binging until you've, figure out all of those problems. And yeah, yeah, you know, I agree with
1: that. And I see that it's a it's it's almost just a way to enable yourself to stay in the problem.
2: Yeah. And you'll actually figure out more about your background in psychology and, and the psychological treatment will go a lot better if you just stop, if you use these very practical techniques to stop behavior. And and also there's nothing that says you ever have to figure it all out. I mean you could just stop having chocolate You might notice some levels of psychological discomfort when you stop having chocolate, but eventually those feelings will extinguish. If you just don't eat the chocolate and you never delve into, you know, where those psychological feelings came from, because you're not going to be reinforcing the pattern anymore, those feelings will extinguish. So... You don't you don't even really have to know. I've lived a very introspective psychological life and I'm very interested in those kind of things. So I, I wanna know and I feel like life is better when you do, but but you don't have to. And I think
1: Right, you don't have to dig deep into the past for 15 sessions with a psychologist in order to figure out how to get over this problem. And I, I absolutely understand that and see that. Um It's just things that are like, you know, sometimes people are notice or aware of, and it doesn't mean that it does always have to be that way just because it was programmed uh, into you a little bit when you were, you know, younger. um, I agree. You could just change it now in its tracks without having to look back or even know what the reason is. Yeah, that sounds absolutely logical to me. That's exactly it. Why do you think, um, I mean, I feel like our listeners and myself too probably have lots of uh, answers to this question or, or some things I think would be reasons, but why do you think overeating and stress eating and binge eating is so prevalent in our culture today?
2: You know, I have a friend who was the VP for a large snack bar manufacturer and he told me at one I and mean, I've got to kind of disguise the names to protect the innocent, but but he, <laughs> he, he told me that the real insight they had was that they could sell their cells exploded when they took out the vitamins. So the, so the bar tastes better and they focused on making the packaging look, you know, gorgeous and delicious. So what he's saying is as part of a influential company in the food industry. They figured out it was better to make food look appealing and taste appealing than be nutritionally valuable for us. And having worked in the food industry for so many years and, you know, seen the literally billions of dollars that goes into advertisings and tens of millions of dollars that goes into research and development, what they're trying to do is figure out how to put the most calories in the smallest space with the most attractive packaging to push our evolutionary buttons and fool us into thinking we're doing the right thing. And it's such a primitive lizard brain (laughs) controlled. It's so primitive that it's really. It's
1: almost like we're robots and it's just uh, we're going right along with the, the programming. I yeah, we see it everywhere. I mean, there's so many marketing gimmicks and things out there. That will, you know, they'll have a very tiny component of the food item be from maybe a cat, you know, like like there's one, you know, dried cherry in there, full of antioxidants and you know, like, or whatever, right. right? So you know, we uh, or or the best one. Uh, that we joke around about is, you know, ever since stem cell science came out now, stem cell, anything is on every packaging of beauty products, like, you know, uh, pineapple stem cells, or, you know, it's just <laughs> anything. And it's like, it's not to say that it's going to do anything or not. It's just the fact that stem cells and we go, oh, that's regenerative, but we're not being injected with true stem cells. They're just, you know, from, you know, broccoli stem cells, whatever. But uh, it's so amazing because it's, again, you feel like you're doing the right thing, like, you know, oh, well this, and it, you fall prey to it. Just, like a, a robot. It's 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 sad. We've got to take a look at that.
2: I saw one study that said that children, I think it was between the age of five and twelve, are exposed to about, I think it was five or seven thousand advertising messages about food per year. And not one of them was about fruit or vegetables. Right. Um, just like in you know, like whole fresh ripe raw, fruit and vegetables. And so that that's what we're fighting. We're fighting hyper palatable foods that are developed and promoted by the industry with billions of dollars. And our inner pigs are their best customers. But a lot of this melts away. See, so this kind of gets into the discussion about willpower. And people ask me, well, so you're saying this is all about willpower or um, isn't willpower a fatigable muscle? Aren't there all these studies mm-hmm. that say that people make poorer choices as the day goes on because they're so tired? And that's all true. But what you have to remember is that Willpower is the ability to make good decisions when you're faced with conflicting choices. The power of the clarity of the food plan is that you've made your choices beforehand. I, it doesn't take me any willpower to never have chocolate because I know that ch- chocolate is not my food. It's just it's right. just not something that I eat. So, um, once I could really assign it to that pig's trough, and, you know once I'd gone for a couple of months and really kind of forgotten all of those, Memories and, you know, neurologically, neurons that wire together fire together. And, and if you don't continually reinforce those connections, then they they extinguish. Uh, it doesn't really take the willpower because the decisions are made. And that that's what I encourage people to do. In the places where they're having trouble, let's clarify exactly how you want to behave. And I'm not going to tell anybody how they how they should behave. It's right. They'll really
1: decide how they want to. Yeah. They'll decide yeah. the plan. Yeah.
2: And then let's listen really carefully to all the reasons your pig squeals about that you should do otherwise, or that you can't do this. And you know, let's just get all get that all out in the open. And now you know you just ignore it, and you don't have to have any major insight about it. You just ignore it. So,
1: I'm really glad you brought, brought up willpower. Um, I've had to use it so many times in my life. And honestly, when people are attempting to do anything healthy for themselves, if they're coming from any these kind of places it does take willpower and oftentimes you know we talk about how like you know people fail when they try to do willpower in like five different categories it's like okay like i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to change my job i'm going to start a gym and i'm going to start restricting or not restricting foods and it's just so much at once and if you can just get the willpower behind the food portion and behind what we're talking about. That to me, when I coach people, it's the most important thing. It's like, in fact, I try to tell people if you've been sedentary and you have some some eating issues here, don't try to go all of a sudden be a workout person. Deal with the food part first. Deal with exercising and testing the willpower. But another thing I want to say about willpower is that it begets more willpower. Because the success after you've had that moment where you do make that choice that's positive for you, and you do it a couple days in a row, let's say, and you're fighting the inner pig, it feels like an accomplishment. And it almost can beget more. So I feel like it becomes easier. You know, it it obviously takes, you know, some time to stick with with something there. But I do, I feel like it's, it's such an accomplishment. When you have gotten over that hump don't you think i mean don't you feel that sense too maybe not in the moment maybe it's still a struggle but maybe the day after or or that at the end of that week like wow i resisted chocolate was thrown in my face 50 times <laughs> you know what i mean and i feel good that i didn't binge on five bars of it um no. you
2: know start so, so, so to that every day we get up we remake ourselves and so every moment we're deciding what kind of person we want to be yeah and if you get up and you decide well i'm a person that doesn't eat chocolate or i'm a person that you know, doesn't eat chocolate during the week, you're, you're defining your character and every day that goes by that you act in concert with that definition, you're a stronger, better person for it. And yeah. um, willpower begets willpower. That's a really good way to say it.
1: And the discipline, like you spoke of earlier, because when you've exercised and accomplished and satisfied the willpower, that is discipline. And that is, uh, like you said, it's a it's a real winning mentality and it and it feels and you feel like a winner (laughs) you know because it's such a it's like oh my gosh i've made a step outside of this awful treadmill i was on or you know hamster wheel whatever you want to call it um i'd love to hear about like what would be a good example of someone who's come to you like the worst case scenario like the worst binging situation you've seen and then the most success like what's your what's a real stark you know uh success story
2: um I mean, you know, I've, I've actually got a guy who was 500 pounds oh, when wow. we started. He's he's lost, um, he's just about 500 pounds. He's lost 100 pounds. And, you know, the the worst case story is always your own when you're in the middle of it. When people truly feel unable to stop eating, it's like not having a life. It's It's like yep. feeling forced to hurt yourself and not being able to participate in relationships and work and, you know, it takes days to recover and, you know, it's always, well, this is my last chance and so I'm going to eat everything I can. And so, you know, I mean, I've, I've worked with people who are 500 pounds and miserable. And I've worked with people who are 120 pounds and miserable because they, you know, had an extra bag of goldfish and it just took away that opportunity they really wanted that night. And I don't necessarily like to say that either one of them is, is worse than the other because I think that in some ways diminishes People's own experience of what it's like to feel out of control.
1: That's a good point. Um, that's a good point. So, we might see 500 pounds as being way out of control, but it could be just as out of control for someone that's 120 who's got the same issues. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. But the, there are a number of um, recorded case studies on my blog for anybody that wants to listen and hear people that just got so excited that they, oh, didn't have to eat popcorn anymore or that they learned how to stop going back for seconds or they developed some portion control or they figured figure out how to stop eating cliff bars it's, it's what's really interesting is everybody has their own personal nemesis It's it's yeah. no, no people are really completely alike that's great
1: so let's talk about uh the book now it's it's free on kindle right and, and on amazon it's never binge again and tell us a little yeah. bit about it tell us how we can find out more uh download it for free but then you also have a, a, a paid but inexpensive version of an audiobook and and a written form on
2: I'm well, the, the easiest thing would be to go to com and click on the reader bonuses. And if you do that, um, you'll not only get the book in whatever electronic format is your favorite at Kindle or Nook, or we can even send you a PDF if you prefer. It's free in the United States, by the way. It's not, it's not necessarily free overseas, but we can send you a PDF if you, if you want us to. But click on the reader bonuses and sign up for that because we can also send you a set of free food plan starter templates. So. You know, if you eat paleo or you're vegetarian or you're athletic, or we have a, we put a lot of thought into some starter templates to show you the kinds of food rules that might be, might be helpful. Um, and then there's a whole series of case studies where you can actually hear me coach people through coming up with their own rules, nailing them down so there's no ambiguity in it, and then helping them through everything that their inner pig says, which makes them feel like it's impossible to ever comply. That's, um, that
1: would be really great that's so great you have that because even listening to any coaching calls like that someone on the other end could be going through something very similar and just absolutely benefit so that's really cool cool Nice. What? Uh, anything you'd like to leave our listeners with or or any kind of words of wisdom um, other than us checking out neverbingeagain.com and, and looking at what you have to offer there
2: well this might sound a little, little bit silly, but in the end, all you have to do to never binge again is never binge again.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to stop binging. Yeah, just never. Yeah, no, get, okay. get
2: get really really clear about what that means. Most people are not clear about that what it means. And I I I call a binge even one bite or swallow off your very carefully defined unambiguous food plan.
1: Nice. So
2: get really clear. Create a food plan. Um, then listen for your pig squealing and telling you that you can't do it and promptly ignore it. And then never binge again.
1: And all those tools are available in your book and online. There's just a lot of nuances to all those things you just mentioned. So uh, thanks so much for your work and for coming by the show. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, well I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Got
0: a passion for primal? Join Mark Sisson on a mission to save the world. Become a Primal Blueprint Certified Expert today. With our Dollar Down Payment Program, it's easier than ever. Just pay $1 to start and $89 a month for the next 12 months. The Primal Blueprint Expert Certification is the most comprehensive online Primal Paleo Certification Program of its kind. Explore the fascinating world of ancestral health from the comfort of your own home with this premier multimedia experience perfect for health and fitness professionals, as well as individuals looking to up-level their primal practice. Visit primalblueprint.com slash get certified to put a dollar down today.